Welcome to TKG's Healthcare Insights, where we explore healthcare's critical issues, challenges, and trends with a focus on achieving the quadruple aim of enhancing patient experience, improving population health, reducing costs, and improving the work life of healthcare providers and staff. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome. We're glad to have you listening today. I'm Warren Smedley with the Kinetics Group, and today we'll be continuing the report out by our summer interns, highlighting the findings from their research projects focused on adopting patient-centered care. Each summer, the Kinetics Group brings in several student interns to explore the critical issues in healthcare and learn alongside the TKG team. This year's team has proven themselves to be especially thoughtful, insightful, and hardworking. They have done some impressive work. I'm delighted to reintroduce them to you today. We have Danielle Dror from Tulane University, Prem Shah from Temple University, and Ava Ritchie from the University of Southern California. All three students are pursuing degrees in healthcare. This is part two of our discussion. Let's pick up where we left off. Did you see anything or read anything about how the actual patient responds to these digital tools? Are they... Do they like them or do they embrace them or is it hard to get them to understand how to actually use them? So, yeah, um, I would definitely say there's, of course, a learning curve in the beginning uh, to any new tool that you would implement. Uh, but the idea is it allows for you to bridge the gap between like, OK, what is what is this condition that I have and how can I solve it? A lot of times it's like, OK, with with diabetes, or, and I have to like check my check my levels every day before and after I eat, whatnot. Uh, but the, the idea is now when you can introduce more education and when you can kind of bridge this gap, a lot of people feel a lot more confident in being able to control the condition. So it's not more, all right, now, like that, that 50% adherence rate um, is, can kind of come down to something more understandable just because people do feel a lot more comfortable and connected to their health. And that only happens because, uh, like, for example, uh, one of the seven goals that we talked about was shared decision-making or data used to modify these treatments. That only happens when you can... Uh, when the self-monitoring interventions kind of log all, uh, like let's say glucose levels, and then that goes back to a practitioner, a practitioner analyzes that, and then you have a conversation about it. And once that happens multiple, multiple times, you start building this communicative atmosphere. And now it's a lot more of a regular, normal conversation at the comfort of a patient, rather than you feeling like it's a whole another event to go take care of my health. And so that sort of confidence and that comfortability is, uh, I think, what we're trying to accomplish. And that's when we start seeing uh, actual positive results and people adopting this because it only just makes life easier. Just at the beginning, yeah, it's hard to like have to now adjust to a new means of taking care of yourself through these digital means. Uh, but at the end of the day, it allows for a lot more uh, comfortability. Create more of a partnership between physician or clinician and the actual patient. Yep, precisely, yeah kind of work together. Interesting thought though, you know, the average person only lasts about two weeks with their new year's resolutions. <laughs> uh, I did read some, some literature that some of these digital apps, patients are good in the beginning and they tend use tends to fade off after six to nine months. So it would be interesting to, to look at and consider, are there then patient navigation, social worker type of models that could come alongside these digital tools to sort of keep patients engaged and encouraged to stay with with what they've started and not give up too soon. 
Yeah, I think that's a that's a good point, and I think that also touches a little bit about what Danielle's talked about with the social determinants of health. Uh, but the idea is that these tools are kind of meant to be used in tandem and not just like the only thing that we can use, right? So you're going to always need that uh, that doctor present or the the social workers present to understand. Okay, you can handle you can handle a condition with the remote patient monitoring tool. But what about like now attacking everything else? What about the environment that's leading to kind of the, the, what about the environment that's leading to this disease now aggregating even more or kind of creating more problems than it has to? So it's not like this, this, uh, this remote patient monitoring tool is the answer to everything. It's not the end all be all by any means, but it's kind of the one step closer to allowing this sort of partnership as you mentioned before so yeah i would definitely say that uh, we we do need the social workers still present we need all these different stakeholders still present because it's not just okay taking care of this condition it's asking why has this condition presented itself or how can we make it easier other than just the individual having to deal with their condition there's a lot more in the environment or other services that could be present and so as we've seen and i'm sure daniel can talk more about that regarding the social determinants sure Daniel, I would like to ask you about that. We've talked a lot about social determinants of health, and that's a very common term, buzz term that's used. You hear it all the time. And if you stop, I'm going to stop and think from sort of from more from an academic perspective that perhaps these are really social correlates of health. They're definitely correlated with health, but don't necessarily determine a health outcome. Strongly correlated, yes, but maybe determinant may imply something that 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 particular individual or that that class of individuals can't break free from that because it's predetermined that they're going to have a certain outcome. And uh, perhaps our thoughts as healthcare administrators should be: Can we switch this from something that determines a health outcome? to simply something that is correlated with the health health outcome that we can then address that correlation and reduce that correlation and improve the outcomes for the patients. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, 100%. You have to have, I mean, the current systems in place that are restricting a lot of people financially or their physical environment, um, all these social determinants, occupation. I mean, with COVID, we saw them leading to Um, greater health disparities and having higher exposure to the coronavirus. But there's definitely ways that public health officials, um, politicians, and just generally um, organizations can help limit the effects these social determinants can have. So it's no longer determining their health outcome. Especially for people with chronic disease. So you got chronic disease, and you're being forced to make a decision between eating or taking your medicine. Yeah. And you get into you get put in a position where you have to you have to make a choice and maybe it's your child that's the one that has the uh, diabetes. And you have to make a decision between do I eat properly or do I take care of my child. Yeah. And those kinds of decisions are hard for patients to try and make. But we can as a society overcome some of those barriers. Yeah, and I think that the start of it is just having better social programs. I think making it easier to get food stamps for individuals who need the help and where they can get healthy food instead of just going to the local fast food restaurant because it's cheaper than to get like a fast food meal than to get all the 
vegetables and fruit and the grains to make a proper meal at home. So having that, making it easier, making transportation not an issue, getting to the supermarket is for certain people that fair to get onto the buses or the subway or other public transportation systems. It And then also paying for your groceries and the time it takes is a huge issue if you're working um, more than more hours than are working full-time, have a family to take care of as well. Because if you're working full-time, that's already one job, but also being a parent is another job. So remembering that. Sure. Actually, there was an article published I recommended to you, Dr. Carl May, M-A-Y, 2014, on the total burden of care. And Dr. May actually studied all these factors that go into somebody who has a chronic condition and how all of these factors, trying to feed your family, trying to live your life, trying to take care of your kids, trying to do your job, and trying to manage your chronic condition, they all pile up together to create this amazing amount of stress that then causes, in his case, what he discovered was cause of one of two things. You either overutilize the healthcare system or you underutilize the healthcare system. And it, but we've put so much stress onto these chronic patients, it's no wonder that it's 6% of the total uh, GDP because we've, we've piled everything onto these patients who are already stressed in their normal lives, then we add all this extra to them in their uh, clinical condition or whatever that happens to be. Yeah, definitely. Okay. As we think about this project that you did, I know that you actually linked it back to, to our kinetics group objectives of addressing and advancing the quadruple aim. Can you kind of share some thoughts on how all these pieces fit back to trying to advance the quadruple aim? I can take that. So, yeah, uh, with the quadruple aim, we can say the first being uh, improving the patient experience. Um, as we've seen from pandemic-related highs in telehealth or digital health, uh, patient experience has been improved with uh, digital health, especially with the, with the study done afterwards of where 76% of patients are actually interested in using telehealth and 74% of patients reporting high satisfaction rates. Um, on TKG's end and how that kind of applies to us, uh, it's, it's more on the pharma end, it's kind of hard to say how we can trickle this down to a patient experience. It's still a conversation to have. Uh, but on the health systems end, it could mean that we now enhance our role in understanding how can telehealth, how can we pitch telehealth being implemented into health systems or now from treatment plans, such as uh, I know what we do with NASH or CKD, creating these treatment plans. Um, the idea is you can create those, but okay, now how can we integrate remote patient monitoring into this as part of a treatment plan? Or can we now, like those slow integrations, starting from if there is no treatment plan for something like NASH or nothing set like that, you can also bring in chronic, you can also bring in solutions for these chronic conditions. And so now it's not only, hey, run XYZ test and based on these factors, do this, but it's also, okay, you can do all of that, but now, what about the self-monitoring mechanism that allows us to continue outside, continue care outside of the hospital or outside of the health system? So I think it's more of TKG having that role in with our clients in terms of pitching these telehealth solutions or these digital health solutions. You know, you can also do this in tandem with uh, the the already present work that we're uh, doing. Yeah, and then going off of that. Um, another major component of the quadruple aim is advancing population health. 
So we can do that by looking at the commonalities in populations, which will help public health officials and local health systems work towards limiting the major drivers that impact their overarching community's health. Yeah, and a great point, Danielle. Next being the total cost of care. Um, As we mentioned before, with chronic conditions, with only 50% of uh, those patients with chronic conditions being able to stick to treatment um, is is very surprising. And that results in over $100 billion annually to to a health system and just one case of hypertension. Um, And I'm sure that that extrapolates to other chronic conditions such as diabetes and whatnot. Uh, With the cost of care, we we can now see in the future, probably in the next decade, uh, big players like Amazon or Walmart now coming into the telehealth uh, telehealth sphere, kind of forcing the hand of smaller health systems to create uh, these telehealth capabilities. Um, for example, with telehealth, actually, you're talking about a fairly small market segment. You're talking about 13% of the population and in the following three categories of behavioral health, mental health, and telehealth. And so with this smaller population set, we're going to see how cost of care changes because if Amazon's creating telehealth capabilities, every other health system is going to need to and at the same scale or now you're behind and so in this term in the marketplace we might see some shifts in cost of care and how that's uh, implemented just because you now have this competition and at the end of the day yes competition is best for the consumer uh, but in healthcare things things don't always go to things always don't go by the book in terms of the markets and so uh, we will we'll see some sort of shifts there in the cost of care uh, probably in the next decade or so yeah, great point. And then lastly, um, what really differentiates the quadruple aim versus the triple aim is reducing this care team burden. Research shows implementing patient-centered care can reduce clinical burnout. When clinicians are supported in their mission to care, clinical burnout rates decrease. It is also recognized that caring for the people who care for others, aka those physicians, is extremely important in improving patient outcomes. Very good. The three of you did an impressive job with this summer project. Does somebody want to summarize kind of what your learnings were? Yeah, I think we could each give a little quick summary. We wanted to do that. Danielle, you want to start? Yeah, of course. So as we move towards a patient-centered landscape, it is extremely important that physicians gain their patients' trust. In order to do this, Physicians must understand each patient's culture, lifestyle, and background, which all can be done by studying the social determinants of health. Great. And, you know, more to my end, from a data perspective, you know, I think we really wanted to emphasize that if we allow it to be, uh, you know, data can really be this, this compass for change moving forward. So to make great healthcare, and, you know, to that point, to make great patient-centered healthcare the healthcare industry, you know, could really benefit from, you know, this strive for accessible and actionable data. Yeah. And uh, with uh, telehealth and digital health and even AI on the horizon, uh, patient centricity is kind of more about how can we bring healthcare as close to the patient as possible in, in terms of how comfortable can we make it? How easy can we make it? How and how easy is it me? How easy is it for me to take care of my health? Um, and so, digital health, uh, I think, is one of the best solutions for that, especially remote patient monitoring, especially with chronic conditions. Again, six percent of the GDP. Um, and so, hopefully, we'll see in the next decade or so these remote patient monitoring uh, methods coming out, and hopefully, we'll see them being a lot more comfortable, kind of bridging that gap uh, to healthcare that we see in the, in a lot of the population now. Very well done. So to wrap things up, I have a question for each of you that's a little bit off of your presentation, but 
Each of you is training at this point to become a healthcare leader in the future. And in healthcare, things come and go. They change regularly. So based on what you've done in terms of research this summer, what trends do you think have staying power? Which things are going to be around when you get to be a healthcare leader? What are the important things that you see for our collective future? So I definitely think that this whole social determinants, I know we keep on talking about it, will stay for a while just because, again, we need to recognize that healthcare, the medical care someone receives is only 20% of the picture. So you can't ignore the other 80%, everything that happens outside of the doctor's office, the someone's occupation, their, their financial standings, their cultural backgrounds, what really impacts their daily life will forever be impacting their health. And that's why we can never stop looking at that, especially once we finally bring this into our system at the larger scale, it should never leave the system. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, much to Danielle's point, I think, you know, even just looking at this from a higher level, patient-centered care and this this shift towards patient-centered care, I think really is here to stay. Um, You know, I hope it really is here to stay. I know that, you know, we've seen more of a shift towards uh, value-based care, and I think that they kind of go hand in hand in that way. So I really do hope that it is here to stay, but I do have a great feeling that it will be. (laughs) From a more, you know, data specific perspective, I think that the pandemic has really highlighted, you know, this need for health data, right? We're, We're tracking this virus's progression, you know, across the country and then across the world. And, you know, it's, it's so obvious that, that data is allowing us to see these trends and, you know, decide masking mandates and decide, you know, you know, which areas are vaccinated, which are not, and to sort of assess risk levels in that way. So, you know, data really is the driver in that regard. And I think moving forward, I hope moving forward that uh, we begin to realize how, just how important data is and, you know, how to improve it and how to make sure that it's, it's accessible and accurate and actionable. Yeah, and I would say on the uh, yeah, so on the tech end, I would say of course technology is here to stay. One becomes obsolete as we keep innovating. Um, but the idea is, uh, I think the remote patient monitoring speaks to the idea of how we uh, we're going towards this trend of wanting healthcare to be kind of second nature uh, to us. It should be something that we can easily check up on. It could be something that we can keep in control and kind of know the ins and outs. Kind of have metrics, data on our own body in a way. Uh, and in that sort of way, it allows us to stay on top of uh, these chronic conditions. Um, at the moment, it's fairly hard to do that, uh, but we have things like wearables now coming out that give us these constant data metrics of how how are we doing, how is our body doing, and what's going wrong and what's not. And so uh, this this idea of da- uh, health now becoming second nature is, I think, something that's going to, I think tech is going to now bring us there through remote patient monitoring or now also through AI later down the line, uh, kind of creating these systems for us. But nonetheless, I think all the telehealth, digital health is here to stay and um, is going to be the foundation of our healthcare moving forward. Very good. As I was preparing for this, I couldn't help but be reminded about an old TV show, Star Trek, the old TV show. You're way too young to have seen it firsthand. (laughs) But uh, the beginning of each of the episodes, they started this in the late 60s, the beginning of each episode, sort of the title opening scene, the announcer would say, space, 
the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. And that hearing your presentation made me think, gee, we need to reframe that whole thing for healthcare. Might go something like this. Healthcare, the final frontier. These are the challenges of the U.S. healthcare system. It's quadruple aim to enhance patient experience, improve population health, reduce costs, and improve the work life of healthcare providers and staff to boldly innovate where no one has innovated before. I think that's spot on. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Congratulations on the job. Well done, team. Uh, you added a lot of value this summer. Thank you for your contributions. These are valuable insights, and I'm grateful for the hard work you've done this summer. Thank you. Great discussion. Thank you for all that you've done, Danielle, Prem, and Ava. We look forward to keeping track of you as you uh, progress in your studies and think about your future career. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. Well, that wraps up another week of TKG's Healthcare Insights. Thank you for joining us. We welcome your suggestions, ideas, and requests for podcast topics of interest please email us at oncology at thekineticsgroup.com and write Insights Podcast in the subject line. Thank you. Have a safe and healthy day. You have been listening to TKG's Healthcare Insights, a program produced by the TKG Oncology team of the Kinetics Group. TKG Oncology empowers life science companies to effectively engage with health system and payer customers by developing strategies and real-world solutions aimed at impacting the right patient at the right time with the right care. We also work directly with health systems and payers to address the critical issues of our time. We would love to hear from you. Reach out to us at tkgoncology.com. Thank you for joining us today. 